0: Welcome back all about reality podcast listeners It is Matt Goodwin here I um on this holiest of days for me of the Jewish faith Yom Kippur the day of atonement um so we're gonna do a special atonement podcast my partner in crime Luke Patrick O'Connell is here uh welcome Luke let's get me through this last 45 minutes of fasting huh
1: Sounds good, brother. And uh, easy fast to you and yours. And I have to say, this is one of the rare times when it was your idea to talk about a little bit of atonement on our part. We do our best to go through a good process and give our best that we can to our listeners. And uh, full disclosure, it's time for some self-affliction and assessment on my part and perhaps greater discipline. Because the players that that I pushed the hardest for. And in fact, the number one player that I'm most overweight on this year is Brandon Cooks, who ended up on every single one of my fantasy teams with where he was. Um, I got to tell you, man, there are some elements that I've been banging my head against the wall with this fantasy season. You've enjoyed a lot of success in the leagues that we together. You seem to be enjoying broader success in our shared leagues. Uh, other than a victory over you in week one, that was sadly the highlight of my podcast league uh, season. Um, it's just been brutal in terms of both my process and outcomes this year, and so yeah, I just wanted to to let you know that I'm here, I'm with you. If anything, um, I appreciate you and yours, and and on a, and on a real note, I want to send some love to all those who are who are actually focused and fasting and doing their best to to atone this today, but in fantasy and in levity. Uh, we're going to bring a little of that game to, to the podcast tonight, too. So how, how does that sound?
0: That, that, that's, that's, that sounds good. I think that – I mean, with Cooks, I'm, lo- I'm looking at his numbers right now. And, you know, net-net, uh, I think they're kind of highlighted by the fact that Cooper Cup has astoundingly come back from injury and, and done very well. In a vacuum, if you look at Cooks's 20 receptions five games – for 325 yards and a touchdown, plus throwing 37 rushing yards, you're still at around the top 35 receiver. The problem is, in, in reality sports online leagues, you're probably paying a price tag of 18 to 20 million for that a year, so you're a little overweight on that. If you're not paying that and you're coming off a, a cheaper contract, you know, obviously with the, you know fresh off this concussion. Um, against Seahawks last week on a fantastic one-handed catch. Um, to be honest with you, it looked like Cooks' helmet twisted before he even hit the ground. It was kind of weird. Like, it, it kind of looked like his helmet was too big, so maybe Antonio Brown was actually onto something. <laughs> um, but, you know, because I did I did see that play. It was a That was a fantastic game, I, I will say, you know, between Seahawks and the Rams. So I, I think there is potentially light at the end of the tunnel for Cooks. I know with the price tag that you're paying and the fact that you have them across the board, um, that that can be can be difficult. And, and you know, at the same time, like you know, I guess is a lesson to to our folks. I mean, I tend to consolidate positions some to players too. And and maybe like the Chappelle show, like maybe we need to follow the Wu Tang financial and diversify our bonds.
1: and I hear you. And I think it's just more the mentality. And this is, I think, the advocacy that we always give our listeners. That prospect of diversity, if you're playing across a wide range of leagues, absolutely it seems to make sense. The math bears it out. The analytics guys I trust certainly, and more DFS grinders would give you better strategies to do that. For people like you and I that like to go hard and intend to delve into the format of reality sports online and more dynasty oriented perspective, you can't help but be led by your process to certain guys, right? Like that's where we're, we end up by virtue of the fact that we're like putting a lot of time into like arriving at these people. Before we get into a little bit of the, uh, the self-assessment and discipline of ourselves that we have to do, we can point to, and this is the one as I thought about what you and I could talk about tonight. If our listeners paid attention to us on running backs, we could actually be pretty proud of the way that we directed them. We pointed them in the off season to guys like Derrick Henry, mark ingram david johnson nick chubb and like i mean look we can't blow our own horn too much about like christian mccaffrey but he uh you certainly were his biggest advocate and had him when other people had him down near running back four before all the stuff with with Zeke and everything like that you were touting him the whole way you put your money where your mouth was in our expansion draft picked him over saquon barkley that has played out well aaron jones those guys I just named are seven out of the 10 names in the top 10 running backs right now. I think we can be proud of how we led our listeners down the path to, to being higher on guys that maybe didn't enjoy that kind of consensus. Um, <laughs> hmm. a, sh- a shared guy that we both love, Chris Godwin comes up at the number one wide receiver in fantasy right now. I don't think you and I can claim a lot of credit there. I think we, neither of us were that high on him, but um, But I have to give a little love to your boy, because I'll tell you what, the most consistent advocate of Cooper Cup in my life has been your son. And so, like, he gets a little bit of love for that, too. So Cooper Cup is in the top five wide receiver. Um, Then – Here's where like it's coming out of nowhere. I'm so like baffled, and I gotta give. Listen, I give you a hard time, and I'll always talk trash to you in our leagues. But you're get this is you're getting a little bit of love. You're hungry right now, and I'm gonna give you a little food uh, in the fantasy sense. DJ Chark is a top five wide receiver. You pointed him out as your deep sleeper. So there's like the good stuff, right? Right. Now, now we got to get into the, into the self discipline, right? Like we we touted some guys that that we really have to take uh, a hard look in the mirror on, and I. And I think that there are ways that I was like pretty radically off on some 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 players that we could do better on. So let, we'll, should we talk about that for a moment? Well
0: um, yeah, I think so. I don't want to pick on you about about cooks. I, I think what, what I do want to know is though, what what because we we didn't really talk process. Us on him and and what you you know what you were really digging about him that you know I know Stefan Diggs is a whole different story I I know the narrative why you like Diggs and and why the fancy community does too just great route runner and you know in, in a you know fairly good offense playing for your favorite team you know obviously it's run heavy now but but w- what drew you to you know thinking that cooks would you know that either this season or over the next few that cooks you know someone who's kind of well traveled and had success everywhere was was you know not priced at the top of his peak i guess
1: yeah so i think you and i've talked about it a little bit i've found myself gravitating towards organizations that i trust when i'm making my long-term investment in rso players it seems to me the rams invested in a head coach that ought to be there for a long time and has a proven success and track record um, in terms of uh, like innovation on the offensive side of the ball. Leading the coaching narrative aside for a moment, you point to the player and point out he's actually had historically good production across his first few seasons of the NFL, consistently over a thousand yards, with the exception of one season. He has played across a variety of different systems and coordinators and has shown that his talent has borne out that he can be the kind of receiver that produces like a thousand and eight, thousand and seven, thousand and six production. That's something I'm comfortable in investing in. And I thought, as far as a solid wide receiver, too, and that's really where you had to buy him, right? Like somewhere in the 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 range, usually in standard drafts, which puts him in reality sports online at a startup, it puts him between like 15 and 22 million dollars typically per season. That is absolutely a price that I remained comfortable buying him at across across leagues and because he wasn't one of the more hyped names because of the flame out of the Rams but not necessarily Brandon Cooks in that in the Super Bowl like that is in fact what kind of prompted me to like really sink my teeth in and say that this is a guy I want to get behind
0: okay that, that makes sense um, I'll share a little bit you know my process on Cooper Cup I think that you know where, where I'm gravitating towards guys and I try where I can and the data is available you know without paying for it (laughs) in a perfect world you know so much good stuff that you can you know resources that if you're willing to commit the money that stuff like pff and the athletic and and all that stuff you know there's just an infinite amount of data i think you know for me the the common the quarterback rating when targeting a certain receiver is a is a metric that I like. You know, with the receiver game. I think I way back when, when I was writing for number fire, I like the you know, in the playoffs and PFF, the, the Doug, Russell Wilson Doug Baldwin combination, you know, was the highest rated in the playoffs one of the years I was writing when, you know, I factored that into Super Bowl. I mean Baldwin didn't do much against the Patriots that particular year, but um in the Super Bowl aside from a touchdown but I, I think you know cooper cup to me is just what he brings on the field is is invaluable you know he's always on the field with the block you know including blocking the jet sweeps everything else and just you know what he sets up for that offense so i i try you know when i feel like i've identified a guy like that then you know especially you know in a, in a second round of rookie draft or something else, you know, then I, I, I tend to you know cling on to those guys. I, I think Chark, for me, was more about the cost that he was practically free and, and saying that in the offseason. I mean, I, I, I think I was contemplating trading him for a second rounder this past year, and I just had pause because I was like, you know, I think Nick Foles can turn him into something. He's a high-spark you know, athlete, made a lot of plays. They invested draft capital and traded up for him. So, you know, I can Chark keep this up? Probably not. I mean, I'm ridiculously starting him in the Writers League over Odell Beckham Jr. this week because I just, you know, I feel like something has to give and I I can't keep this guy on my bench any longer, you know, Um, but I mean, it's interesting, like, looking at top receivers. It kind of looked like our our team last year. You know, we had Godwin. We had Cup, albeit a week or two before the injury. Had Keenan Allen. I mean, we didn't have Chark, obviously. But it's just – yeah, it's just kind of interesting to see those guys and then some of the names, like, you know – it, nobody's really talking about, it, but DeAndre Hopkins hasn't scored a touchdown since week one. I mean, he he didn't get much of the upside yesterday or last week with with the big performance out of Watson. You know, Julio jo- Julio Jones is still kind of around the the top ten. Mike Evans, basically by virtue of one big game and one non-existent game, is is you know kind of in that peripheral. You know. Thielen in spite of the, you know, the offense has a lot of touchdowns and is still kind of carving out his role. So I – but there's a lot, you know, Juju Smith-Schuster hasn't, you know, necessarily lived up to expectations. So I, I think, you know, the, the Michael Thomases of the world and the Amari Coopers who you're paying the big bucks for, the Keenan and Allens, they're they're right there. I mean, I, you know, guy I think I missed on in terms of, you know, kind of underappreciating, undervaluing is, is Tyler Lockett. I, I mean, I, I I definitely knew the volume would, would potentially be there, but I, I really thought, I mean, it's really amazing how efficient Russell Wilson is. That, that's all I could really say. I mean, that catch that Lockett made last week reminded me of San Antonio Holmes in the Super Bowl against the Cardinals. I mean, unbelievable.
1: No, you're totally right. And when you speak of it that way, it speaks to me about the something that I think we have both emphasized because I really like you bringing up the, the passer rating when targeting a particular receiver and, and quantifying that. And we both tend to like receivers and this is not rocket science here, tethered to better quarterbacks, but I don't know that we emphasized it enough in our off season process. And I start to look at, and, and just the bad breaks that these receivers are getting in terms of peripheral inj- injuries and even vital injuries to their quarterbacks around them. But, we, when you talk about those big ticket wide receivers, if we if we extend that out, there was about 16 or 17 wide receivers that people felt pretty confident going after. Um, in that group was T.Y. Hilton, Brandon Cooks, certainly Juju Smith-Schuster, uh, Stefan Diggs. These guys are all like at half the fantasy points of your leading wide receivers right now. And those... And that that makes me ask the question. I mean, there's some consistency there, but the consistency is bad quarterbacking, right? Like across all all of them, it was a significant drop off in the our expectations of the kind of quarterback they would have. Whether it was yeah. through the shocking retirement with Brissett and and Luck, whether it was the injury to Ben Roethlisberger, or just the kind of radical unperformance of Cousins, like all those guys are now literally half the receiver of Michael Thomas, who somehow has defied that trend. And this is what's baffling to our process. Like Michael Thomas also experienced a drop off in quarterbacking from Drew Brees to Teddy Two Gloves, but he's managed to rise above that. So here's my question. i Joked with you and back channels, I'm hitting that point in the season where I can't make trades, I can't get my teams out of the funk, I'm getting frustrated, I'm like tearing my hair out of here, I'm getting like snippy and trade negotiations, I'm just like falling apart, like if I, if I was an executive, I'd be like throwing things at TVs and stuff in a real <laughs> way, but like, so tell me, like, does this say to you, because this is where it's pushing me, Goody, and I don't know if it's pushing you this direction, my process in evaluation of running backs has kind of nailed it over and over again and it's seemingly more predictive of success. Do I just throw up my hands and say, like, I'm not gonna pay up for wide receivers instead I'm gonna drop all that money and then go chase the sharks of the world? Like that seems to be where I'm headed with my frustration right now in fantasy.
0: I I think you'll I, I think you should compensate for that a little bit. But not necessarily overcompensate for it. So I, I think that it's vital to to have some some cheap upside receivers in in your portfolio. Um, not ne- so whether you get those in the rookie draft, whether you're grabbing a Preston Williams at the end of a, at the end of an auction for a couple of years, uh, you know. I think it's those types of guys or, you know, trading for Lockett on a cheap contract, which you did in the Writers League because I was still, you know, I still liked Pettis' long-term outlook. I didn't see how Lockett was going to see my field with Cooper Cup, Keenan Allen, and OBJ. And and he still may not have. And he's, he's a player who has produced for you in, in that league. But I, I think that... I think the message, you know, while we were talking about this kind of had this epiphany, like you don't necessarily have to have an outer worldly quarterback to have a good quarterback wide receiver chemistry. You know, I think that Jameis Winston and Godwin are proving that, you know, pretty, pretty easily. I mean, Minshew and Chark, I I think seem to have some type of chemistry. Um, I think Will Fuller's always had chemistry with Deshaun Watson, but I, I think he's a big play guy and, when he hits the, you know, when, when he hits the right matchup, then they're going to exploit that as long as he is healthy. So, it, it, you know, I, I think Hopkins is a phenomenal receiver. I think, you know, I think his value is still really high. I also think that a guy like, you know, Al, I really still love Alan Robinson. I think he's producing very well. He's, you know, age 25. I think his extensions, if you hadn't overcompensated for him and with a big contract in the league, you know, when you extended him when he had his ACL or something else, I, I turned that into two years, 16 million a couple of weeks ago. I'm thrilled to have Robinson on board. Trubisky or not, I, I think he he still has wide receiver one volume. He's got 31 catches on the air, 377 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, I'll be in, in the same game. But, you know, like him a lot, still like Fitzgerald a lot, even though, you know, Kyler Murray hasn't been the fantasy darling that everyone expected. I mean, Fitzgerald obviously is a, a shorter term play. So I, for, for you, I, I think that, yes, you, you have to go after some of those guys, some of those receiver types, you know, especially because you're someone who tends to accrete draft picks you know, in the second round, third round. Um, I know sometimes you kind of go all in and and flip a bunch of them to get premium assets like vis-a-vis a a Saquon Barkley or something. But I I think it's important to kind of paint around the edges and always have, no matter what type of – how good your receivers are, like on the top end and what the size of the contracts are, you kind of have to offset those with, with cheaper guys that, you know, have a lot of potential.
1: So let's talk for a moment on that. And that actually leads us to a good point. And I like the flow that you're given here. You, like I said, in our leagues together, your teams are real contenders. And my team is at the point where I ought to be selling. When will you talk about some of those smaller pieces or longer term value plays that you probably have on the back end of your roster? What kind of player now that's a little bit higher up that you're looking just to level up to kind of, to, in, to armor up, to get ready for your playoff battles as a contender, can I dangle for you that's going to move the needle? Like, would you be moving, like, a second-round pick for one of the guys you mentioned? Like, here's a these guys have been solid, like, wide receiver twos across fantasy for the beginning of the season, have demonstrated some of that chemistry you're talking about. So if I dangled the Larry Fitzgeralds, John Browns, marquise browns of the world to you these guys are outperforming their expected draft position are you willing as a contender to give up future assets whether they be a younger player tethered to a longer better contract or a second rounder to go get a guy like that if you're a contender
0: i think i am i think it depends on the composition of the league i think that you know and this is something we've had conversations about with going to try to add another flex for the writers league I feel like in the Writers League, everyone's core of core starters are, are on paper all really, you know, towards the upper echelon of the league. So, you know, you, you have lots of good players on your bench. In, in that scenario, I feel like I have to make a trade that definitively, no questions asked, not necessarily with the second round, but definitely with the first, that makes my team better. I have Aaron Jones as my running back, too, on an expiring contract. I, you know, I... I have to somehow, you know, if he's my weakest link on my team, I have to, in order to move that first round pick, I got to get something better than Aaron Jones in that case. And that's hard to do, you know? So I, I think that was kind of the impetus for me trading Lockett teams for you know Pettis even though you know I I felt like Lockett was locked into a better season than Pettis this year I just felt like I needed another guy who had upside for down the line you know in my portfolio and sometimes it's okay to redshirt a guy you know and and hope they hope they turn it around you know not every rookie or young guy has you know a breakout in their first season or they maybe they do in their first then they have a bad second season and then put it together for their third so I I think it's tricky in that scenario. In in a scenario where, you know, you're in a deeper league and you need talent across the board, definitely, you know, I'd definitely be moving picks if, if if I thought that was helping me and I was a contender that was, you know, in the mix to win.
1: Yeah, and I think from my perspective, I have to speak to those of you who are both in your literal parents' basements and in the basements of your league standings right now, uh, consider for a second when people are offering you these, these amalgamations of picks for your really good players, take a look and be honest about your own draft history. Go back and take a look. Have you been able to convert those picks successfully either to better assets later or to a rookie that has produced? Because I think one of the dangers um, if you're sitting in my spot and you're just like, what did I do? And, and you know me, I'd, I'd prefer to trade the not anyway. Right. That's not always the instinct of a, of an owner or an RSOGM. Many fantasy owners get really attached to the players that they have. I would say defer to goody stance a little bit more than mine. Right. Like I don't know that if you're the seller dweller that you ought to be initiating the trades right now, let people come to you because then that shows what they want and then that you can extract a better price for it. Because if you keep putting out there that you're willing to trade, which I've done, you're just exposing too much information to your league mates and just making yourself a target at a very vulnerable position. And I I think that's what happens. You end up selling low on on assets just because you're like, ah, he's one year or he's like so and so forth, like I can't extend him or whatever. Those situations might be okay for an RSOGM, but if you have a guy tethered to like two-year contracts that you know that you'd rather be staring at him in your starting lineup next year, don't give him away for peanuts at this point. Even if those peanuts happen to be bright and shiny draft picks, um, yeah, that's where that's kind of where I'm sitting, Goody, and that's kind of been my frustration as I try to yeah. plot, deposit posit trades in my head, right?
0: Yeah, no, that that's that's real. That's really sound advice. I, I I think you hit a lot of points there. I I, I think that it's hard to you know, yes. If you're initiating, you're always active. That's one thing. That's one thing. But, you know, I, I think we you know we had Dr. Renee Miller on a podcast last year. She was a great guest. I, I think that we have we all have our certain biases, especially in rally sports online. That you know we have these long-term contracts that we're, you're very quick to write somebody off who's not performing, and you know whether that's due to injury, bad luck, quarterback tethered to something, you know, and 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 that that makes it hard because like you know a guy like DJ Chark had a non-existent rookie year, and all it took was a little bit you know a little bit of injury and say like Marquise Lee's way, and then a, a new quarterback or whatever, and you know all, all of a sudden he he's having a good season. I mean, same thing in, in certain ways. Like Leonard Fournette struggled for a couple of years. People are down on him. Maybe they sold low, and now. You know now he's just getting you know supreme bell cow volume, not not necessarily efficiency all the time, and and that was an issue with Melvin Gordon early in his career too. Maybe you know he had he had the touchdowns to show for it, but he was you know his average, but carry wasn't great. So I, I I think that you know I think that one of the other things that's interesting, just kind of going on. I mean, if I told you at the beginning of the year that your top three fantasy Sorry, top five fantasy tight ends and scoring are were Evan Ingram, Austin Hooper, Travis Kelsey, Mark Andrews, and and Darren Waller, followed by w- Will Disley. I, I mean, you you would have probably you know thought that was a little off. And then like a guy like Gerald Everett's like kind of just outside of there too, and he's he's around half the points of Ingram. So like I mean, you haven't seen anything. You know, Kelsey hasn't hasn't popped yet i i mean i use yet very carefully because i think that that offense is explosive and you know we'll see what the mahomes ankle injury looks like but it's just kind of a, a changing of the guard at, at some of some of those positions too so it's like how how do you you know you have to be you have to be so adaptive to trends and and, and the the best owners in in rally sports online that i've played with in leagues are the ones that are kind of playing both sides, both sides of it, you know, in real time. And I think that's, you know, our founder Matt Hobson is is really freaking good at that.
1: <laughs> no, he is, and he's also one of the ones that is most straightforward in trade talks. Like he won't compromise, like in a in a real way. Like some people treat compromises as if it's a good thing in trades, and to some extent, it is. If you want to get something done, but if you also have clarity about the value of your players that's where the word compromise becomes a bad thing, right? It compromises the integrity of your team if you come off that value for your player. If, however, you're willing to like navigate creative solutions, that's where creativity and compromise is good, but not when you're like, oh yeah, maybe I I don't, he's not as good as I think he is. To that end, I was actually gonna shift gears on you and talk a little bit about, we haven't done a lot um, of follow-up on the extensions. We've had a couple weeks of extension data now this seems to be an inefficiency that we can exploit as RSO GMs in the algorithm that that is worth talking about. What do you make of guys that are radically un- underperforming um, and as a consequence, their, their long-term deal is going to be cheaper? So they've destroyed you this year, right? We're talking guys like OJ Howard. We're talking guys like Calvin Ridley to some extent. We're talking guys um, you know, that we, that we all had high expectations for, the Robbie Andersons of the world. Juju Smith-Schuster or some of the bigger names. Uh, do you think an our RS- OGM ought to be confident of our, like the community's initial evaluation of those players and buy them now and extend them now that while well, they're cheap or more cheap than we think they are going to be in a few weeks, or are you not the kind of owner that says I'll extend a guy while he's showing me something different than what I thought he was?
0: Uh- it's a tough question. I, I think that, you know, for me, it, it's an easy decision for a guy like Allen Robinson who had a 1400 yard season, you know, with a, with a mediocre quarterback and in, in Bortles and, you know, they still young and he, he still has wide receiver one volume for guys you know, like like Ridley. I mean, I, I was really taken aback by Ridley a couple of weeks ago when he said that he, he can't get open against zone coverage. I, did, did you see that quote? Yeah. I, I and one of my coworkers who plays fantasy a lot was asking me, he's like, hey, is there a site you know of that that says how much team defenses play zone versus man? And, and I'm not aware of one, but that would be really interesting information to, to know how receivers, you know, perform against that so i sorry i went off on a little bit of a tangent i'm not inclined i'm not inclined on those guys to to you know kind of hit the extension button even if it's even if it's lower than we think it should be right now um because i just don't see the track record as being there and i think that everything in this marketplace is pointing towards huge ballooning salaries and escalations of things as as leagues get more mature and more people play in the platform so like when you see austin hooper a tight end for 120 million for four years or even Hunter henry at that yes you don't want to pay that like you know you'd rather have a receiver but i i think that you know once you're getting up to the 20 the 20 million a year mark for for players you've got to be somewhat judicious on how how you're doling out those contracts so you know like of course if if if, you know if calvin ridley's offer is four years 40 million i think you have to entertain something like that i certainly wouldn't be entertaining that for someone like robbie anderson um i I wanted to ask you something specifically but like let's hear your comments on what i just said and then I, i want to ask you a question
1: No, I I think it's good that we focus on a particular player and and try to elaborate on our point. And I think to build on what you said about Ridley, what we thought about him before the season, where he was being drafted in Dynasty and where his Dynasty stock was, he was a prime candidate for a long-term extension. You talk about these comments that he made, other really good, um, like, AirYards leaders, like Herbsmeyer and others that have come up with that have been a little skeptical of Ridley. Even, like, Snapshare... Mohammed Sanu, Sanu is outperforming him in terms of like the snaps. Sanu's been on the field more than even Julio Jones, so I don't know what to make of that. With the, I mean, it just seems like the Falcons are different than we thought they were, despite Matt Ryan turning in another top five quarterback season at the in the fantasy position. That's the crazy part about it. So I, I, I'm with you, and I mm-hmm. think I think it's just a matter in my head of like numbers per year. I'm like, as I see these players like. The ones that are underperforming expectation like Corey Davis and, and Diggs and uh, Ridley and, and Juju Smith-Schuster. I just start like looking around at, those other, that, at my context in the league, as you said, look around at the other ballooning values of wide receivers. And if they're asking for 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, I'm still comfortable paying that per year for them. And then it, when they start to get higher, I just start to ask myself, where, what, what is my cutoff point for this guy? Like, can I eat this salary and still be an effective? Can I play both sides, but can I still be an effective GM if I'm dropping 20 million or 22 million or 24 million on a guy like Juju Smith Schuster if he turns out to be what he is this year and not what he was last year?
0: So, right. But, but ask yourself a question. I know, say, say you had an offer right now for Corey Davis for $8 million a year what what has he shown you you know that that warrants even paying that i guess you, you know I mean he had he i think he had two touchdowns in a playoff game or whatever but like he, there there just haven't been consistent performances out of him that you know that that says like that contract to me is just like no man, no man's land to let someone else you know even if it seems enticing let somebody else. You know, deal with like Mariota be their problem and, and all that.
1: No, I tend, totally tend to agree with you. I think when you start to look at the player and you're no longer certain of their talent and situation, and Corey Davis is one that constitutes that. I'm still certain of Juju Smith Schuster's talent. I'm still certain of Stefan Diggs' talent. I'm no longer certain about their situation. I'm much more comfortable paying up and taking a big swing and miss for a wide receiver that could potentially be a solid top 10 or top 20 guy, because we know that the rest of that amalgam of receivers has frankly replaceable performance for us. Like you can get guys off the waiver wire that will do what Corey Davis is doing. And I, and I don't know that you can do that for a guy that pops like, and like I said, I think you, you named a great one. I've been targeting and successfully targeting Allen Robinson a lot of leagues because he's been so quiet. People are uncertain about his situation, but he's another one. I'm comfortable gambling on that talent given how young he is, and how recently removed from injury he is. I think those are kind of guys I'm much more willing to extend and spend on in terms of draft capital to go get, even if I'm rebuilding, like he's a young wide receiver. I should rebuild around someone like that. Right. So.
0: Right. Yeah. So let me ask you a question. We were talking a little bit about the, Falcons offense and and I and I, I like I'm gonna put in the vein of a trade that like I was thinking of doing you know doing kind of along the lines of like you know I have a contending team I, I have positions in this player already I, I feel like given what the Falcons
1: defense
0: is and I think it's one of the worst in the league you know that the game scripts are why Matt Ryan's performing like he is not only because of the talent they have around him but is some of the you know how bad the de- the defense is. I feel like Austin Hooper's for real. And I I don't know that he's four years for real, but I, you know, a lot of the contracts I feel like that I've seen with him are, are two years maybe, or a year left, and you have the franchise tag at at a a position that doesn't necessarily warrant paying exorbitant salaries. So even though his extension right now is ridiculous and the, you know, where I've had the offers. So you know, I, in what, in one of my main RSO leagues, I have my tight ends right now are OJ Howard on a second year rookie deal where I have two years left this year and next. And then I have Dallas Goddard, you know, he's one of the guys that picked up at the end of the auction type, you know, is a four year Debbie deal for, I think I'm paying him like $4 million a year. You know, you have those two guys who like right now for better or worse, OJ Howard's is not performing. Goddard's kind of stuck behind earths. Would you take those two, you know, knowing what you know, would you take those two at a combined salary of five and a half million and offer it for to somebody for Hooper as two years left at five million a year and be comfortable with that? Or, you know, like, you know, if you're a contending team or would you have be worried that you'd be losing out on that upside that you're talking about kind of the playing on the both sides of the fence question. So I think it's kind of a perfect real life example of, you know what you're doing if you're contending because you don't necessarily trust the tight ends you have but you feel you know that they have future value so would you take the you know putting the new luke patrick involved in this which approach would you take with you know knowing what what has happened to you would would you be taking a more patient approach and or would you still be looking to trade those two guys for a tight end upgrade
1: yeah no it's a great question to posit because. Hooper's oddly been, this guy, Hooper has been the bellwether this year. On my two best teams, he's my tight end. On all my other teams, OJ Howard's my starting tight end. And that kind of tells you all that you need to know, right? And and so I think you're right. I think I still, um, I think that's a deal that gets done across most leagues because Hooper's giving off very Jason Witten vibes. He doesn't seem to be the most athletic specimen, but he, you know, summers in the offseason with, with Matt Ryan and does all the narrative street stuff right. He's a player coming into his own, like kind of about the right time in the evolution of a tight end historically that we've seen. So yes, I think that gets done on the contender side. And I think if I'm rebuilding, I don't know that I'm hanging on to Hooper. I think I'm willing to move him Um, for for some assets right you can probably get a contender to sweeten that for you by saying like yeah yeah like send me send me Howard and a pick or send me Howard and Goddard and something else sweet and I'll and I'll make that move for you like go go win a championship and let me rebuild um I think that's one that both guys can walk away feeling as though they didn't shaft the other on and that you can build a good trade rapport in the future too I think that's a very fair way of approaching it okay so yeah man i think so i think we've covered some good ground here um i i feel a little thank you in your in on this whole of days for you you've made me feel a little bit better like maybe i'll still have fun playing fantasy football for the rest of the season i'll still harass people with trade offers and things of that nature hey,
0: anything else we need to tackle on this day day of atonement
1: <laughs> no i think we're good i think we're good brother and um I'll wish it to you well, easy, fast for you, and uh, we'll, we'll come back in the in the weeks to come and see what we can do in terms of restructuring those contracts, getting those extensions done, bringing on some guests for our listeners, and, uh, and move forward with the fantasy season.
0: Yeah, most definitely. In terms of atoning, I'm definitely atoning for the Dante Pettis love. I still think he runs really good routes. I think his snap shares up. I think I didn't see, you know, um, I didn't see any of the game on, on Monday against against my Browns. Um, I know I got kind of out of control early, and I, I mean, for our listeners who don't know, my, my mother-in-law passed uh, about two weeks ago, and so we were, you know, host, hosting Do Remembrance at our house, you know, when we got back to Seattle. So um, it's been a rough couple of weeks, but, you know, we have lots of good memories of her, and, and you know, she, like... So didn't didn't see the Browns, did see Dante Pettis run some sprints with Matt Breda on an 83-yard touchdown. So it was good, good good to see him in the game that early, and I, I don't really think the 49ers had to pass all that much. But, I, I mean, until he proves it to you, you know, in reality sports league online leagues are not, you got, you got to keep Pettis on your bench until, you know, he proves otherwise.
1: No, for sure. Two different levels there. One, of course, our thoughts go out to you. Uh, you're definitely in my prayers and all you guys who are who follow Goody online and he like is so generous with his time and response to you. Definitely give him some love and, and for his family, too. It's nice of him to make time for us now, knowing what his wife and kids are going through. And so, um, yeah, man, we really appreciate that. And then on, on the next level, of course, like on the fantasy level, I think... Um, I think that that's a good note to end on when you talk about Pettis. So tell me about that guy in particular too. Is he a guy that you're willing, he's mostly, across most leagues, he's on favorable contracts. He's locked up tight. We, We both think so highly of him and his prospects. Um, if you could get, like, a player that's performing well for this season, you're just like, what is this guy doing? But I don't know why, but he's consistently performing, and he's expensive and old and on a one-year contract. But, like, like, like a John Brown. All right, would you do that tra- straight up, like, John Brown on a more expensive contract for one year for a guy locked up tight like Dante Pettis for multiple years, if you're contending?
0: Yeah. Uh... I personally wouldn't because, I mean, maybe because I, how I, I seem to have a bunch of receivers on my team. And then I, John, the question is like the replacement value, like can John Brown really catapult the team? You know, I mean, if he does this five straight weeks, like DJ Chark, then sure. You know, you can make that argument for sure. But you know, I, I would, even if I was contending, I think I'd still hold, hold on to Pettis in that particular case you know, if, if if John Brown turned to Larry Fitzgerald, I, I think you know, I, I think I, I would probably make the deal.
1: <laughs> awesome man, and I guess last question. Give us any kind of hope or or lament, however direction you want to take this. Should you get what you can for OBJ and Baker now, or should you hang tight with those guys?
0: That's such a good question. I, I I think Baker, you gotta you gotta hang tight with I um. I mean, this Browns team is very Jekyll and Hyde so far this season, you know, looked really good against the Ravens. And I think the one constant in that offense as, you know, I didn't suspect that would be it, but Nick Chubb is, you know, someone I was very high on. I still think he gets score 20 touchdowns this year, which I think I went on record and said in the off season, um, I, I they just the the problem is like it's kind of shoehorning targets for OBJ and what that looks like Landry actually has more receptions I think or, or pretty close the and the Beckham and so Landry's been fine I, I I think you know the schedule does get way appreciably appreciably easier in the next five weeks or so so I think you'll have some of that you know, pick up on, on OBJ. The question is how much you're paying him and, and what thirst there is for, for him. And, and, you know, I think it, with Baker, you're just kind of stuck because there's narrative street on him just about his personality and, and all that in terms of, you know, OBJ. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you get good good value for him, I, I can, I'd consider moving him just because, you know, there there's certain, I mean, he, he's got dynamicism all written all over him, but Right now, they just haven't quite figured it out, and a lot of that is on Freddie to, you know. I, I personally think Freddie should hand over the reins to Monkin to call the plays and, and you know, be the CEO of the organization. So I think that's a typical next move, um, you know, when teams are struggling. I I, I hope that happens. You know, if this continues, I hope it happens sooner than later.
1: All right, man. Great note to end on. Again, thank you for making time for us for all of our listeners who observe this holy of days. We wish you an easy fast and, and Goody, I hope your schedule gets easier with a little more food in it in the next <laughs> few hours too, brother. And uh, yeah. to everybody out there, this is uh fantasy doc Ock and at Matt
0: Goody too. And that there wraps up another episode of all about reality.